Yo, peeps. I love just saying that. It's so great. Valentine's Day, Monday. You're watching Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined by Dan Nathan. And in just a few short minutes, the great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will join us. It's going to be a party in the USA. Yes, I saw Miley Cyrus on one of those commercials. Today's episode is brought to you by Faxet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Dan, open exchange because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And I am telling you, you could tell I'm hyped up on 7up or something, but I'm geeked up. Very interesting day, although, albeit, you know, markets closed, eh, not bad, not great. Yeah, I think the headlines all weekend long, and obviously that dump on Friday um, on fears of Ukraine uh, invading or being invaded by the Russians, that really kind of set the tone for the weekend. There was a lot of discussion, I just think in general, all over the place, what that means for you know the state of supply chains, for the state of energy prices, for the state of interest rates. You got you made this point on numerous occasions of late. Is like you know we're talking about is the Fed going to stick to what they've been saying about raising rates, right? to combat inflation. But what happens if there's some sort of geopolitical event? The playbook forever has been to kind of just lessen rates, right? And kind of make easier monetary policy. It would be just a, a real, it would be a real screw job for them if they had to change their tune so quickly. Well, then I'm, I'm Dan's playing hurt, as they say. He's sort of, I would say he's sort of Matt Stafford late uh, second half yesterday. What I did, he did get tweaked a little bit, but he's gamer, that kid. I love him. I'm thrilled that they won the Super Bowl. I thought they'd beat him a lot more than they did, Dan, but that's probably for another show. Let's take a look at the S&P because here we are, and I think we've drawn the lines for you. I should say Dan has. Support comes in the form of the green, red resistance, and we're right in the middle of that band, although slightly lower. Again, I've said it. I think we're going to take out that 4,300 level of support, and I think the obvious place to go is sort of that 4,000 level, which is where we were and broke out from last spring April, to be exact. What are your thoughts here, Dan, Nathan? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Mid last week, though, guy, you know, we got above Carter's 150-day moving average there, and it looked like it was going to break out, you know, above that kind of 4,600 level. And you and I were both scratching our heads, given what we had kind of heard in earnings season. And, and again, it was fine. I think that FactSet had um, some data out today that more than 75% of the companies that are reported in the S&P 500 have beaten on earnings. But that's not the whole story, right? We know that really the implication for margins as we deal with higher costs of goods and services is really the big story going forward. I think that was one of the reasons why we saw disappointments. It was really about the guidance, not the backward-looking quarters here. But the fact that this news or the potential news of an invasion of Ukraine sent the market down so sharply back closer towards that lower support level, it really feels like those lows from late January are really in the crosshairs. And if you get through those, guys, you're getting through those October lows, and I don't really see support down until about 4,200. Exactly right. Katie, bar the door, as they say. Mike Wilson, who's on Fast Money often, and we should probably have him on our podcast or one of the market calls. I don't know if you're a Tom Hanks fan. I'm really not, although I will tell you Saving Private Ryan is a top five movie of all time. But he was in some movie, I think, called The Polar Vortex or The Polar Express <laughs> or something. I don't know what a polar vortex risk to the stocks means, but it can't be particularly good. And Mike Wilson said the potential invasion could tip global economies into recessions. And you know what? I think that's what some of the concerns are. Now, obviously, some of this is going to be predicated on energy as well, which we will talk about. But he's putting out a somewhat, and I don't want to be too wonky here, but a somewhat dire prediction, Dan. 
Well, I think that, A, he's sticking to his guns, that he thinks that the Fed has obviously gotten themselves turned around a bit. They've gotten a bit hawkish, right? As And listen, rightfully so. They just kept their pedal on the metal for too long, right, with all the quantitative easing. And, you know, you and I have been saying this for months and months and months, you know, you got to raise rates so you can lower them the next time we have this sort of situation. They don't seem to have too uh, creative of a playbook when they're trying to battle some form of unforeseen thing. And make no mistake about it. I mean, what happened in 2020 was the definition of a black swan. And they're pretty lucky that they at least got, you know, Fed funds back, what, up to two and a half percent or so. The 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was at three percent back in 2019. At least it gave them some room. The fact that they have not even raised rates yet, I mean, they're only done with the taper, lets you think, okay, if we were hiking into a recession and you did have another black swan and energy did go haywire, what the heck are they going to do then now? Well, it's interesting. We look at this chart because I think it tells a pretty interesting story. Obviously, crude in the orange, I believe, Dan, if, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, and the white would be the XLE. Now, the XLE is starting to perform. It's interesting. You know, it didn't want to for a while, but it's finally caught up and said, you know what, maybe this energy move is right. And you're starting to see the strength in some of these underlying equities, which I happen to think makes sense. I think you would submit probably correctly, by the way, that if things were to go even, you know, even if there were a moment of detente, uh, or if there seems to be some backing off on either side, you're going to see crude dump, you know, four or five dollars, which is probably the case. And given some of the trend lines we're at, it probably makes a lot of sense. I'm more in the camp that this is going to continue to grind higher and the equities will continue to move up. We will see. I'm curious, though, what Carter Braxton Worth thinks, which is probably a good segue to bring him in. Don't you think, Dan? Yeah. Um, hey, Carter, how are you, bud? I mean, listen, you know, my quick take here is that you likely see, I mean, we have this buildup in the price of crude up to 95. Maybe you see it kiss 100. You've been calling for that. Um, you know, you've been calling for these levels all along here. I just think today's price action is really interesting with crude where it was at, you know, 52 week highs or multi-year highs. The energy stocks did not confirm that. And so to me, if you do have a reason for crude to come in lower, I think energy stocks get hit very hard. Carter, how are you, big guy? I'm all right. And it's, uh, it is an interesting moment-to-moment -moment divergence, which is to say, of course, energy stocks have lagged the commodity, and yet uh, they've tried to come to life. But still, when you look at the comparative charts from the past two years, obviously the energy stocks are way behind. The commodity is at eight and nine and 10-year highs versus you know the energy stocks, which are only just barely back above their pre-COVID highs. And so today's divergence is important. It, it, it can be summarized this way. The, the, the crude market is a very small market. And I know that you could say, wait a minute, what did he just say? That's ridiculous. Very few people. I mean, I myself have traded crude on the NYMEX, but if you think about it, uh, the broad judgments being made about the energy market, people make their decisions and they act it out in the shares market, not in the commodity market. And so watch the shares. Uh, they're more important. Than itself. Obviously, the other big story, Carter, is yields. And I think you know it's something we talk about all the time. And people probably get tired of hearing us talk about the TLT and bond yields and those types of things. But it's important because obviously, I think so much of what we're seeing in the broader markets are predicated on what's happening here. This chart I look at, a chart of the TLT, which is a 20-year bond ETF. We won't get into why it's 20 and not 10 because I don't know the answer. But you drew those little uh, those little circles or whatever you call them, and that suggests to me 
that we're about to break out of this downtrend and the TLT is about to go higher, which would mean 10-year yields are going to go lower. So here we are, let's just say 2%, give or take. This suggests that maybe we'll see back down to potentially one and three quarters or thereabouts. Right. Let's look at this. And what's important about this is, as distinct from most charts, this is a very short-term chart. Those yellow bars are 60 minutes. And actually, facts that does a great job here of being able to allow you to move from daily bars, weekly bars, or intraday. And so these are 60-minute bars. And the way I've drawn that trend line, you can see the up arrow, and that minor head and shoulders bottom, that trend line starts on Feb 1. So this is just a, a month to date, just about 8, 10, 12 sessions of trading. Now, if you look at the next iteration, if we can go forward, it's the same chart, but that's where the overhead supply is. That's where the congestion is. And if you look at the next chart, the midpoint uh, would be right around the 142. So were we to fill some of those gaps, I think 141, 142, pretty reasonable. And, you know, interestingly, that would be, well, maybe not quite 175, but certainly 185 on the 10-year. I love, by the way, I know Dan wants to chime in. I love the way you just called for it, and that line in the middle magically appeared. We're getting really good at this graphics thing. Thank you, Amanda Diaz and Mike Cavino. By the way, back to you, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no, this is really interesting because, you know, like that oil conversation that we were just having, it's very tied to rates also. And when you think about the last time the Fed came off of zero interest rate, they started to taper and then they started, you know, to kind of effectively raise by 25 basis points in a very methodical manner in 2014, 15, 16, you know, energy prices got destroyed. Crude oil, right, got really nailed. And so that's why I think we talk about rates the way they do. But, you know, Carter, you and I did a show on CNBC. You're still doing it i think they bounced me off i can't imagine why here i'm called options action and you used to kind of come up with some of your technical ideas and then you know mike co or myself would kind of swoop in and we'd say well this is one way you could play it through the options market let's do that right now because whoa those- wait a second <laughs> this is so what you're saying right now is 50 percent half of the oa crew is about to do a little mini oa force i love it Give it to me, Dan. Well, yeah. Wait, wait. wait. Can I say? Can I just? uh, Can I just do this for a second? This, folks, is where you risk less to make more. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, you know who probably came up with that was Amanda Diaz, our producer. She worked on that show for a very long time, too. But, you know, when I used to see his charts, it used to kind of stimulate a lot of trade ideas in my mind. And that's what we meant uh, to do on that show. We didn't really kind of get into too much of the Greeks as it relates to options here. But we did talk about implied volatility, the price of options. And we'd often look for you know, ways to buy cheap options to express directional views. Because one of the reasons that we all know we don't have some fancy machine that tells us what the smart money is doing or anything like that, but we try to find the cheapest way to express directional views. And so one of the ways to do that is look, okay, where have the prices options been relative to how much the underlying is moving. Now, here's a situation. I'm looking at the five-year chart of the TLT implied volatility. That is the price of options. You see that crazy spike in the throes of the pandemic. We know that rates were very volatile back then. The Fed was very active. To me, right here, it's coming off of a low level. It's trading at multi-month high. That also could suggest that there are a bit of an inflection point. You got to 2% in the 10-year, and now you see rates high. There's demand for options in the TLT. I think that's really interesting. Let's just go to this next chart here, because 
I'm kind of overlaying the price of options in the TLT um, versus the price of the uh, 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Again, Guy, you just mentioned there is not a 10-year bond uh, U.S. Treasury ETF. So we're just going to look. The last time we got to that upper band or we're trading that 145 in the TLT, the 10-year U.S. Treasury was on its way up from 1.13 at that point, it was at 163, and it got as high as 2% the other day. If you get to that upper band, you might see 163 in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. 145 would be my target using the options. And let's just talk about what the trade here. Well, the price of options is elevated relative to where they were just a couple weeks ago. If you wanted to express a directional view and you were targeting that 145 breakout level where the TLT was on one uh, on January 4th, you could look at March expiration by the 137 call, pay about 275 for that, breaks even up at 139.75. That's the strike, that 137 strike, plus the premium that you paid here. Um, and you know, if you got to 145, if yields really did get creamed, and one of the reasons why they might, let's just say the Fed gets dovish into that meeting, you're going to see rates come in. This trade will work really well, and you're risking you know two percent of the underlying ETF price to possibly make two x that. I appreciate you. You are really pushing through this, Dan, and I appreciate it. And I love this trade, and I'll tell you why. Dan gave you one scenario where this trade would work. I'm going to give you another scenario, and by the way, a scenario that we've been talking about now for weeks. If the broader market were to sell off, like we talked about early in this show, in a meaningful way, you will see an absolute flight to quality in the form of bonds, meaning that people will buy the bond ETF, bond yields will go lower. That will work. And if you want a microcosm of exactly that, Dan Nathan and Carter Braxtonworth, look what happened on Friday in the 10-year yields when we traded north of 2.03%. I think we closed right around 191 or so on a day where the market got creamed. So you could see a scenario where rates still should be going up, but they will back off because the market's getting sold. So I love this trade. The risk reward here sets up really well. Before we get to the next thing, Carter, opine, please. Right. And so just to talk about timeframes and all of of what you said is right. If you get any kind of real trouble, whether it's war or what have you? I mean, the first thing people do is go to the biggest, most liquid market in the world, which is U.S. Treasuries. But that but, uh, day-to-day oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I was just say that. So this is a, a a daily bar chart, and so that head and shoulders bottom, which we were looking at in detail, is just those last three days. That's important. You see how symmetrical they are. So time frames matter. You can look at all time frames, but the the little bit of the formation here it wouldn't take much. Just as you cite on on Friday, how much it it, it rose to put this thing in gear to the upside. So you have, you know, they talk about in football, um, they used to say when you have a forward pass, three things can happen and two of them are bad. You can obviously have a completed pass, which is good. You would have an incomplete, not good, or an interception, not good. So two out of three are bad. In this scenario, two out of three things could happen and they could be great for this trade. A dovish Fed tone, which I don't think is going to happen, or a market sell-off, which I do think is going to happen. Both could lead to yields going lower, the TLT going higher. Let's move on to travel stocks because this is something that we've all talked about collectively for a while now. And you look at the year-to-day performance of a lot of these names and you might be scratching your head saying, wait a second, if I told you all the things are going to happen early on in 2022, how in the world are these stocks doing well? And I think the answer is pretty simple. In my opinion, these stocks are really forward-looking. And I think what they're telling you is, look, we're dealing with Omicron. We seem to be on the other side. Um, there is a pent-up demand for these to travel without question. We've talked about that for a while. 
short of a global war, which I don't think is going to happen, I think these names can continue to grind higher. Expedia's at the top of that list, Carter. That's the E in my hope trade in, in place in case you're playing the home game from 2021. What are your thoughts here in this sector? Right, and, and not even shown here, but also participating in things like Marriott, Hilton, right, or related stocks. But uh, I, I think you're on to something if you're making the case, and you are that there's a case for getting along these or as a group this theme. I think we might have some charts. That we do. As they say, slide it, Earl. This is the Jets ETF. By the way, as I've mentioned a hundred times, one of my favorite Wings songs. It goes, by the way, if you're doing Wings Over America, it's, uh, I believe it's Venus and Mars rock show right into Jets. But Carter, I'm going to go right into your, uh, your, your diatribe here, your summation of the Jets chart. Right. So what do we have? Downtrend. Yes. It's filled to the penny. Yes. Can it make it through? Well, I've drawn the arrow up, so we shall see. But what's important is when you come and make a 52-week low and then you approach it again and you hold and you approach it again, there are formations that have names. One of them is a triple bottom. If we pull this back a little further and look at the next uh, chart, which is more duration, look at the, the those minor lows and then look back some year ago when the Jets ETF gapped up following the news that we had our first vaccine. And so this level has a lot of authority. Final chart, this is the longer term, same chart, but the trend lines, meaning we're working into decision time. These were much worse than the market at the COVID low. They tripled uh, when it was believed that there wasn't going to be any variants and COVID was over. They plunged again. And now we are in the apex of the formation, converging trend lines. And it's like, as they say, well, make your bets. My bet is it's up. Yeah, I agree with you, Carter. And my bet would be that as well. And as you say all the time, you don't have to necessarily believe this, but this looks hauntingly familiar to sort of the gold chart that we talk about all the time, a pennant formation that's going to break one way or the other. So if you don't know which way it's going to break, you don't have confidence, allow the chart to do the work for you. I happen to think Carter's right. We're going to break to the upside. And if we do it, I think it's going to be a pretty meaningful move. You might be of the belief that we're going to fail here. But you know what? Again, as these lines converge, I think the markets can do the work for you. By the way, in case you care, the top holdings in, in this ETF are Delta United, Southwest American, and Alaskan Air. They represent approximately 50% of the entire ETF CBW. So obviously heavily skewed airlines, but we talked about some of the ancillary names. Expedia, for example, I think still works. And throw an Airbnb in there as well, Carter Braxtonworth. 100%. Hotels, booking sites, all of it. Yeah, so this, you, oh, I'm sorry, Jen. Yeah, so you mentioned no the vaccines, right? And so these stocks topped out when the vaccines were going their best early last year. And I think it's important to note that today you saw Moderna was down nearly 12 percent. Pfizer at one point was down four percent. And so I think with Omicron kind of receding a little bit, that's one of the reasons, obviously, why these stocks are trading much better. And I do think it's interesting that in Expedia, which is really where people book in the future, it's not like same day that sort of thing. You know, that's showing that sort of pent up. Demand. So you will likely have these airlines, you know, follow suit. And the other thing where these airlines could really start to work is if you did see crude oil come in pretty hard. So we're putting the whole thing together here. Let's talk about um, something in the fintech space that's been really heavily hit here, Carter. Let's look at PayPal. This is one that you're calling so bad it's good. And, you know, this is really interesting to me because this was a great secular story. It obviously saw their behavior of their clients and they saw the adoptions of their services um, massively outperform 
many others uh, in the financial sector, some of the incumbents that we saw you know, during the pandemic here. And this thing had this huge run. And I think all of us were kind of scratching our heads at a certain point, just saying that uh, the fundamentals, the valuation were just kind of divorced from the price action. And so here's the thing, it clearly overshot to the upside. Could it do that to the downside? You know, you have a chart here. I see that level here, but to me, this thing has 83 if it breaks that uptrend a little bit all over it, which was that low from early last year. Right. So just pulling up a, um, the things, the two things to consider. And, and, and when you're buying something that's a falling knife, I mean, there is these idioms become part of the vernacular, right? The Fed. Don't catch the falling knife first, lost, best loss, because they're basically right. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Okay. But uh, to some extent, here too, but this has not been catching the falling knife, because if your buddy's maybe up on the roof throwing knives, you could jump out of the way. This is catching the falling piano, right? It never goes. The thing hits you, it kills you, you're squashed on the floor. However, at this point, I think the piano is probably shattered on the sidewalk and there's nothing left. You're talking about, and we know this very clearly, the stock's peak was a year ago. So it's not like a lot of stocks would have just started coming under pressure in the last one, three, four months. Its peak was February 22nd. We're February 12th, 15th right now. So it's been a year in the making. Its high was 309. It's printing 113 now, a 63% decline. And this is the best part. If you forget COVID, all of the benefit that it derived from COVID, we're back to and below its pre-COVID high. Which is, remarkable, right which is absolutely remarkable. And what I'll say about this is I'm with you, but sometimes, you know, that piano might have fallen, but somebody's still got the piano bench in the window waiting to sort of <laughs> hurl it at you. So maybe that's the last leg. What I'll say is this, and I haven't seen the commensurate volume for me to say, you know what, it's over to the downside. For example, today on a day that the stock makes another 52-week low, multi-year low, it only traded 21 million shares, which is just north of its typical daily volume. I'm looking for a day where this trades north of 60 million shares to the downside, and then maybe we flush the people out. But I think it's worth bringing up because we're really close here in PayPal, Carter. We are. And and, you're, and, and what Guy is referring to is quarter a capitulation day. And often um, the precondition for that is extreme weakness that's been duration-based. And then on the day in question, it opens up, my God, it's down 12, it's down another 15%. And then it reverses intraday and closes on the high, and the volume is epic. But we're close. And interestingly, this is the kind of thing where you might sell some puts far, far below. But that's for- that's for that's for another show, man. I love you, CBW. I mean, I love what you're doing. And you're right. You're waiting for the day, I think, where you have three times normal volume, a day where it makes a new low, reverses close higher in a day. And I think that's going to be the day where you say the risk reward is defined. It's worth getting into PayPal here. But you know what's worth always? Your Twitter account. Check out Carter Worth on Twitter. Carter B. Worth, if you're not following him, as I've said a number of times, you're doing Twitter wrong. So, Carter, we will see you again soon. Thanks for joining. You are the man, as you know. Consumer confidence, Dan Nathan, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but it is faltering. And what's interesting is this has been faltering, Dan, prior to the market going lower, which is interesting. I only bring this up because Peter Bookvar brings it up. Consumer confidence has been dwindling. I think it's a number of factors. I think inflation probably is the biggest factor. Now you throw the market on top of it, and you got a bit of a, ready for it, Dan, which is brew forming here. 
Yeah, so this note got me thinking a little bit too. I know you and I were discussing it late last week. Peter does great work. He is the CIO at Bleakley Advisors, and we read him um, every morning. You can also check him out at the book report here. But, guy, you know, I was thinking Danny Moses, our partner on the podcast on the tape, he was talking earlier to us about Walmart, and he thinks that they're the, you know, they have the potential to really pass through a lot of um, cost increases, um, you know, but that might be the thing that we are seeing, squeezing their suppliers and obviously keeping prices lower, but maybe we see this, you know, gas at the pump, that price really kind of weighing on a Walmart consumer. Look at this multi-year chart here. It's two years. It is really at an important um, support level, and I think it's important. I just want to kind of hit that Home Depot, and I'll let you talk about it too also at a big support level these stocks have not reported yet what do you think the price action and some of these are saying well walmart's not great obviously it hasn't been great for a while and it seemingly can't get out of its own way and what's interesting about walmart you would think people have been flocking to walmart but the problem is walmart historically is pretty expensive stock given you know it's comps like a target for example so in an arena where people are getting out of high valuation names walmart's not been immune from that number one I'll say this, though. Now you're at levels that start to make sense. I think Walmart reports on the 17th uh, of this month, which is later this week, if I'm not mistaken, Dan. You can correct me if I'm wrong. BNP Paribas just upgraded the stock, I think, $137 price target. As I'm looking, the average price target on the street is $167. And I do think the risk-reward into earnings, again, my opinion, sets up probably about as well as it has in quite some time. Well, let's see. I mean, like, you know, some of this data, it just really seems like it's been weakening on the consumer front for a while here. And if you get your $100 oil guy, that might be the sort of thing. Um, and, you know, on that Home Depot chart, I'll just say this. It's like, you know, that is a huge technical level. That was the breakout level. This thing was going hog wild here. And you just don't want to see that thing break below there because you probably have another 10 or 15% below that guy. I just want to, before we get out of here, talk a little bit about um, sentiment and some of these kind of names that we were very focused on during earnings season. Um, let's talk about Facebook for a second here. It made a new 50 week, uh, 52 week low today. And when you see this sort of price action after that massive gap that we had maybe a week and a half ago, and it just they're not done selling it. What is that saying to you about a really an important name? Well, you know, this is one thing we say. I'm glad you brought up Facebook and we're not picking on Facebook, but this speaks to a theme that I've been talking about literally for years now. And I don't know how many ETFs Facebook's in. I want to say probably close to 250 or so. Uh, but the point that is when passive money is working its way into the market, the stock goes higher because it's going higher, regardless of whether or not people understand they're buying it. They're buying it. But when that passive becomes active, that's what's happening. So it works on the upside and nobody talks about it. It works the same way on the downside. And that's what I think you're seeing. It's not that people necessarily are fleeing Facebook knowing that they're doing it. It's that these ETFs are getting whacked and Facebook's sort of collateral damage. Some other names as well. Apple, by the way, can fall victim to the same thing. So you see how quickly Facebook can go down. What's to say the same thing couldn't happen in Apple necessarily? I'm not suggesting we're on the precipice of that, but is it? Oh, I don't think it's over, but, you know, you talk about a stock that's seemingly making a new 52-week low every single day on meaningful volume. It doesn't appear to be over in the slightest right now, Dan. Yeah, you know what's really interesting to me about the Facebook situation is, and we've been talking about it on relative valuation to some of those other mega cap peers for a while, but it wasn't really until this guy down where expectations for earnings growth on a gap basis, they're like, shot to negative in, in this year and the lowest um, revenue growth in uh, probably since the company's been public expectations for this year at 13%. But when's the last time, guy, 
you've seen this stock trading at 15 times earning and they are an earnings machine here it's just the deceleration of it the cost that they're going to have to spend as they pivot so i just think that's a really interesting name i am following that one very very closely because when that bottoms the nasdaq was probably close to bottoming too because there's so many much smaller names that are down much more than that now granted this thing is down 43 percent from its all-time highs made about six months ago or in the last six months but there's a lot of names down 50 60 70 percent very good companies just the valuations got disconnected from their fundamentals and probably the last time and i'd have to go back and look and i will but i think the last time it probably happened was somewhere late in 2018 when facebook was in the middle of a similar move i think the stock went from somewhere like 225 230 down to 105 from october of that year until christmas eve anyway dan i want to spare you take some tea and honey honey is yeah. a an elixir dan, so enjoy that and thanks for joining in today's market call folks thanks to our presenting sponsors FactSet and Open Exchange for bringing us all together here at 5 o'clock. We will be back tomorrow at 5 o'clock, as will be on Wednesday and Thursday of this week as the Olympics dwindle down. If you like what you saw, folks, tune in. We'll be here. Dan will be here. Maybe we'll have a special guest on tomorrow. Who knows? But we'll see you then.